and friends. I hope this cold has made you feel alive and thankful this morning. Let's get ready to stand and sing a song of praise and thankfulness. I'm so glad that you're here. Sunday is the very first day of the week, and look where we are. Worship on the first day of the week is a way of saying, Lord, you are first. You're first in my life. So therefore, I'm going to 
come to you and celebrate you on the very first day of this week. And I'm going to celebrate you first thing in the morning. This is how we honor God and admit that we can't do this day or this week without him. And so before this week starts to get crazy and roll over you, allow this hour to refresh your soul, to reset your heart, and to reinvigorate you with everything that God wants to provide for you to do this week well. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are first. And sometimes it's easy to forget that when everything is going crazy in our lives and our schedules are full and we have a lot going on, but the truth is you are first even when we don't know it. So thank you for this hour that gives us the chance to realize that it's true and that when we make you first, when we celebrate you at the very first day of the week, first thing in the morning, Lord, that we get a chance to hear from you so that we can navigate what's coming today and this week. Lord, we want to honor you. We do. So thank you for giving us to each other in this hour, and thank you for everything that you plan to do in us. Jesus, there are people on our hearts, in our minds. This morning, we lift up Eleanor Smith, who is with us this morning, in the loss of her dear husband, Norm, this week. We ask, Lord, that you would wrap your loving arms around her and that we could remind her all morning long of your love and our love for her. Father, we thank you that Lynn Ritchie made it here this morning after a stroke in which this was the first time she drove to church. That's a celebration. We are so grateful for the healing path, the healing work that you are doing in her life. Lord, we thank you so much for the birth of little Walker Connor to parents Marla and Reed Connor. Lord, we are so grateful for this little guy. We thank you for new life and the gift that he is to us all. Lord, we continue to pray for Jackie Faircloth, having had her accident so many years ago, but yet today and every day, she's trusting you, Lord. She knows you, and she's leaning into you for strength. So we pray for her healing and for her strengthening. We also pray for all those we know and love who are battling illnesses, cancer, struggles, and circumstances that are beyond measure. Oh, Lord, you are the one that they need. You are the great physician, and you are the way maker. Lord, would you remind them of that? Even now as we gather for worship, would you remind them that you are present to them and you are at work? Thank you, Jesus. We trust you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We have something we call First Pres Happenings, two or three for you right now. I get to tell you about the first one. The, I am going to sell a movie. It's called Redeeming Love. It's a reflection on God's transformational redeeming love and based on some features of the character Hosea and his wife Gomer. Hosea is a short prophet book in the Old Testament. And this is a reflection on what happens when a person is involved in transformational relationships with God and God's people. It's an unbelievable movie. You're going to love it. There's some powerful surprises. It's moving. Go see it. It's in the AMC and Regal theaters. You can look them up and go when you want to. It's going to be out in the theaters for a couple of three months. Have at the thing. I promise you, you'll be glad you go. For parents, we have two events coming up that you are not going to want to miss. The first is this Tuesday, February 1st. It is a night designed for parents of middle schoolers and high schoolers, and it's called Revolutionizing the Talk. Bryce Lynn is going to stand um, with you in this room and go over things to empower you, encourage you, and equip you to have what most would say is an awkward conversation with their teenager, but instead you're going to leave feeling uh, encouraged that you can have that conversation with them confidently, and it will be um, something that we're going to have dinner. It's going to be a fun night, so we hope you'll join us. 
The following Tuesday, February 8th, we are having an event for parents of those birthed through age 10, and it's going to be on the birds and the bees. This night, um, I'm going to help lead it with our children ministry director, Rachel Godin. I've already talked to the parents of two middle schoolers who have since watched this, and they said, I wish I had done this course when my kids were still in elementary school or in preschool. It would have changed the conversations we had at home, and it would have changed eventually the conversations that we had as they got older. This series, it's done by um, a young mom and a grandmother. It is so good. I can't recommend it enough. We hope you'll join us. We've got child care. We'll provide dinner from little Leon. It's going to be an amazing night. Both of these events, if you'll register on the website, so we'll have enough little Leon dinners for everyone. And, this, and the last thing I was going to say about them, these are awesome events to invite your friends who maybe otherwise would never come to church. They, parents need to know how to be equipped to have these conversations. Your friends will say yes to come to these events. Uh, this is an awesome way to invite people. And then the last thing for parents I want to tell you all about is our second pajama jam. This is Valentine's Day theme, and Rachel Godin's going to invite you to it right now with a video we've got. Yes, sweetie, I'll be right there. Mommy, can you make me a snack? Yes, yes, just give me a second. Mommy's trying to work. Mommy! Oh, wow. I could really use a date night or girls' night out. Mommy! Mommy! Excuse me, Mommy. I am so sorry to interrupt you again. Yeah, all this time I've been asking, can I please go to First Press Pajama Jam? It has games and prizes and endless friends. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. But wait, there's more. Not only do your children get four hours of Jesus-filled fun, they get dinner, hot chocolate, tons of music, fun and games led by Miss Rachel and some very special friends. $5 per child can't be beat. It's a win-win for everyone. Can't wait to see you on February 11th. Sign up today. drop in you can you can drop your kids off for the full four hours or you can drop them off for part of it it's five dollars it's so much fun and it's Friday February 11th so sign up for that as well thanks thank you I want to invite you over to our house for dinner if you're interested in learning more about the church or you would like to join the church, Fitz and I would love to just fill our dinner table with all of you. We have actually eight people coming to join us already on Wednesday night, uh, February 9th at 6 p.m., and there's room for just a few more. And so if you're interested, please grab me after worship or give me a holler, text, whatever you want to do. All that information is up there. And we do these each month. So if this isn't the month for you, another one will follow in March actually, on March 9th. So I can't wait to have you over, and we're just going to have cozy conversation and a chance to talk about the church and how, how you might feel more comfortable and more connected in. I also get the chance to thank you. A couple of weeks ago, on January 17th, we had Serve Day. And Serve Day meant that 260 First Pres members hit the community. You became the church out there on that Sunday morning, instead of the church in here, serving hundreds of people with the love of Jesus. And in one case, one serve day team served three foster families with 11 total children. There were 16 volunteers. And at the last house that they served, it was a single foster mom who was feeling overwhelmed. So they completely reorganized her garage, did all kinds of odds and end jobs throughout her house, and then a few of them, some of the teenagers, started playing with the children. By the end of the day, none of the serve day team members wanted to leave, and the children were begging them to stay. This team brought Proverbs 11.25 to life. Those who refresh others will themselves 
be refreshed. That's what generosity looks like in the name of Jesus. Refreshing happens both ways. So here are five ways that you can continue to refresh lives with your generosity. There's also a generosity box in the back of the room. God bless you and thank you in the name of Jesus. Please stand.
and we ask to do what you want because you overcame death, you broke every chain, and you set us free, and you are our living hope. Let's sing together.
with us for a little bit and then going back and um, just taking away our sins. And, and we just thank you for being our hope and just in your name. Good morning. And good morning to everybody here in the room. Good morning online. I don't know about you, but it's about time it cooled off, huh? I'm real happy about that. And I don't know if you are, but it's going to be hot for about 17 straight years before it cools off again. We have one day of winter every year. Today is it. And the rest of the time, it's going to be really hot. Look at what's happening next week. It's going to the 80s. Anyhow, uh, something about me growing up in St. Augustine. And I wanted you to know of something I think many of you have never experienced. When I was a kid growing up in St. Augustine, listen carefully, businesses were closed on Sunday. And you're going, no, 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 they weren't. Oh, yes, they were not open, right? We had this thing called 7-Eleven. It did not have gas pumped there, but it was not open. Now, here's the reason I cared, because on Sunday, I could surf all day. And so that's what we would do, surf. And I distinctly remember when 7-Eleven opened. It meant we could surf and get food. We ate really nutritious food then, you know. And the gas stations also opened. Now, they were distinct, but I think you called them blue laws, right? So in my little old town of St. Augustine, not only that, in the, the, the city closed its businesses on Wednesday at noon. I see heads nodding. Some people remember that was the way it was in culture. Well, why do, I, why do I mention that? It's because we've hurried things up. Oh, man. It's hard to catch a breath. Now, I thought it was the greatest thing. Here's the deal. There was no GPS. There were no cell phones. There was no digital leash on my life. On Sunday, i just take off. And here's what happened. i do whatever I did. Never got caught, by the way. Just want you to know that. Never once. Very proud man. Was not willing to get caught and didn't. But it was just what we did. And we'd show up. I showed up at home for meals because that's where I ate. So I, all day long Sunday, just gone. And when the gasoline was available and when food was available from 7-Eleven, we could go south to catch waves somewhere else. So that, that was a great thing. And what's happened? Fast forward today. We have, I would call it this way, we have no margins left in our life. Margin, how do I define that? Margin is what is left after you, after you take your load and stack it up against your limits. Load limits what's left, margin. And for many of us in our lives, there's very little margin left. And we've got this series it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And what we're trying to say is there's something about the way we do life in our culture that's extraordinarily challenging to being able to connect with each other and with God. And today, the subtitle, if the title is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, the subtitle is Developing a Rule or a Practice or a System for life that allows me to connect to God and to each other. I don't know where you keep yours. Mine's in my left pocket. 2007, Steve Jobs released the iPhone into the wild. Shortly, somewhere around there, Facebook started to happen. Friends, what happened is the digital age exploded on us. This is a part of the reason I don't have any margin. I would suspect that you're not unlike me. How many times a day do you touch this thing? I, I don't want to tell you. Many of us have no idea how often we're on it. But I'm telling you what, it's right here, baby. Don't mess with me. I'm, I am literally lost 
without it. And now I'm not saying let's not have this anymore. Let's go back to the old days. No, 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 that's not it at all. Oh, I love this technology. It's fantastic. But here's what's happened. We think that this thing works for us. Oh, no, 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 no. And this, I'm not conspiracy theorist. I'm not some fringe person. This is not some cultish idea. Friends, think about it. All of the stuff on this is designed by really, really smart people. And you know what it's designed to do? To capture your attention. You, it doesn't work for you. You work for it. You and I are the products. And what's for sale? My attention literally for sale. How else could this stuff keep going? Think about what I'm saying. Just muse it over. Think about how much this device, the internet, Netflix, all of that, how much is that grasping for your attention? I just think there's no, it's just sort of a mainstream ob obvious thing. They're, they build this to get our attention. It's just as plain as day, except we don't stop and think about it. And here is the thesis of a, this book and our series. The thesis is like this. If this has my attention all the time, guess where my attention isn't? My attention is not on the presence of God. And I'm not being holy or anything here. I mean, I just don't have time because I'm so busy doing all these things and feeling like my, full, my life is full but not fulfilling. I love it. I have, I have so many cool things on here that I just love. They're fantastic. And don't take them from me. I want them bad. Like, for instance, how many people just love knowing what the weather is? Huh? Is that not great, man? Bang! I got a couple of great ones in there. I got a radar. What's it going to do? I don't know. Let me look at the real-time radar. It's fantastic. I can tell you if it's going to rain on you. Just where you put the little X on where you are. It's all good. But we, and, and I don't want to go back. We can't go back. That's not the point. Jesus followers, Jesus apprentices, that's who we are. What are we going to do about this? If my attention is always being purchased by all of this digital reality that's designed to sell my attention, I, my attention is the product, what are we going to do? And you, you didn't come in here today to have me tell you something that doesn't have a really good, solid, Jesus-centered, biblical, fundamentally grounded answer. And we have one. Oh, do we ever. So we're going to, just a second, I would set the background for this text. We're going to hear about Jesus' response to how do we keep our attention on him? How do we experience his presence in our life? That's what we're going to, he's going to say, do this like this. So here we are. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 15. Now, John, <clears throat> John has 21 chapters, but we're already in the final days of Jesus' life. So what you need to understand is John 15, what we're going to read, is a farewell speech. Think about it this way. He knows he's going to die, and he's thinking, what is it that I want them to know more than anything else? Now, if you knew you were going to die, and you say, in six months from today, it's over, you know what you'd do, most of you? You'd figure out who is it that I want to talk to and what are the most important things that I want to say to them. Reasonable? Fair enough? Yeah. That's what's happening here. So um, literary people would call it a farewell speech. Some folks call this part of John's gospel the upper room discourses, but it has all the ingredients of a speech when a person giving it knows that they're out of here soon. I'm giving you the, the focused center of what I want you to remember and how I want you to live. That's what we have here. The other thing is really important, and that is we're talking to people in an agrarian economy. So we're going to talk about a vineyard, a grape vineyard, and we're going to talk about how grapes prosper. Now, I have in here, and we're going to have these with us, we have an empty trellis over here, but then Kathy went out and got me a bougainvillea. <laughs> OK? 
okay? Because we don't have grapes in Florida that grow on trellises, but you have cut yourself on a bougainvillea before now, haven't you? Yes, you have, but if you look carefully, I think the camera can see it, for those online, this is trellised. We're going to talk about trellises quite a bit today and ongoing. So a trellis is a structure that supports the plant. Here, bougainvillea. This text is going to be grapes, grapes that are being grown to make wine. And so, so here we go. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, and Jesus is talking, and he's giving this farewell kind of part. It's a part of his farewell speech. Listen most carefully to me, brothers and sisters, he's saying. My apprentices, my followers, this is the center of what I want you to remember and what I want you to do. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father, God Almighty, is the gardener. Everybody who's hearing him is always walking around in the middle of vineyards. They all are profoundly clear about what he's talking about. Everyone understands the complexity of growing a good vine. Everybody does. So Jesus goes to something they understand, a vineyard, to teach them something they don't fully understand, which is about staying connected to him. One other question before I read any further. What's the job of a branch? If you're in a vineyard and you have vines and you have branches, what's the job of a branch? Many people, the very first thing they say is to produce fruit. Listen carefully. I don't think that's what Jesus says is the job of a branch. Watch. I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, if you've been in any kind of a vineyard or a grove, and I've been in groves, orange groves, the growers, the caretakers, cut off the stuff that's not producing and get it out of there. So the stuff that is producing has more room to be healthy. So it's a routine, ordinary thing. And guess what else? Burn piles everywhere. Go in an orange grove. You're going to see burn piles. Go in a vineyard in the first century in the eastern Mediterranean. You're going to see burn piles. Watch this. While every, uh, every branch in me that bears no fruit is cut off, while every branch that does bear fruit, he, that is the gardener, prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. Again, everybody would have understood this. So we keep going. You are already clean, and it's a to play there. It means pruned or cleaned. Katharizo is the verb, means to prune or to cleanse. Because you've been cleansed, you've been pruned already, says Jesus to his apprentices and to you and to me. Why? Because of the word I have spoken to you. You're hearing my words, and they're taking into, uh, you're taking them up into their life, and they're, they're making you healthier. They're cleaning you. They're pruning you. They're shaping you so you can be my apprentice, my disciple. Abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Remember the question is, what's the job of a branch? It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. Next, next passage. I mean, next verse. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. If you do not abide in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the burn pile. Keep going. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory. What is that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples? Yes, bearing fruit is the result of what? Abiding. God looks good when we bear fruit, but we don't bear fruit because we bear fruit. We bear fruit because we abide. Seven or eight times 
Jesus says abide. He's running your favorite Eric Clapton riff right here, way down in there, you know, and he just gets on it and sits down in the pocket and stays on it. Why would a guy use a word eight times in four verses? Because that's what he wants us to do. I use the term abide. It comes from the 500-year-old translation of the scriptures into English, the King James Version. If you look at more modern translations, many of them say, remain in me. Remain doesn't get it. <laughs> abide really gets it. You know what the word means, meno, in, in Greek, or menain? It means to live in, to dwell, to be at home. Stuff like that. And so these brilliant translators in 1611 came up with that rich word, abide. And I recommend it to you. This is the abide translation. So what Jesus followers, what Jesus is saying is the job of a branch is not to produce fruit. Fruit is the finish line. No question about that. But we don't get to the finish line if we don't abide. And part of what we're going to do is figure out how in these weeks, how you and I can have some trellis, which is a system, which is a structure, which is a process. Even use the word discipline or use the word like rule in the sense of kind of a way of life. Not rule like do the right thing and don't do the wrong thing. I don't mean rule that way. I mean a guide or a way of life, a rule of life. What we're saying is we have to have some help with the way we structure our lives so that we can stay as branches attached to the vine. God will do the heavy lifting and push all that beautiful sap through the branch, vine into the branches, and guess what happens? Fruit. By the way, you know what the fruit is? Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The first three, love, joy, peace. But I'll keep going. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Self-control. I think I got them. Guess what? Do you, do you hear those? Love, joy, peace. It's relational. You, those things are not things we do as isolated units. By the way, fruit is grouped. Branches are all next to each other. This is family. We do, it, we do it certainly. I have to choose to do it myself individually, but I don't do it alone. We're always doing it as a family. This church, this is not a production. This is not a show. We're a family. And we're talking as family about what we do as family. So what we're saying is we have to have a way to help us get to the finish line. And we are terribly thin on margins. And we're being sold. Our attention is being sold so that others can get our attention. I get it. It's, I, know, I understand the game. I'm happy to play it. I'm just going to, this is what we're going to do, folks. We're going to resist the digital carnivore together as a family. That's what we're doing. You have to choose to do it, obviously, individually, but you also do it with each other. The same way that you choose to be married, and then you commit yourself to marriage, but you work on it together, and you have other folks who help you. It's the same thing. We're going to choose individually to be a Jesus apprentice, and then we're going to choose to find ways to build structure in our lives so that we can abide. It just happens to be that this is the new challenge in the world that we live in. There have always been challenges for people, for Jesus followers to abide. This just happens to be ours. It's the one that's kind of modern. A family full of individuals that abide, here's what happens. We get to the finish line. We bear fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We're fruitful, but not because we're grinding on fruits, because we're abiding. And then we have, we have God's life flowing through us. Another way of saying that is you do your part and your family around you, they do their part, but God does the heavy lifting. God's doing the heavy work. You and I aren't. We're just staying attached to the vine. Do you know what your system is? Your basic trellis? Because everybody has one. Everybody has a way. Everybody has sort of a way of going about their life. 
how you live. What, what do you do in the morning when you get up? We all have something we do. Someone spoke to me recently about that and they were going to make a change based on all of this abiding thing. It was the first move was guaranteeing that I couldn't abide in Jesus because I was busy engaging in something else. The other thing is not a bad thing, but if my attention is drawn to something other than being with Jesus, then I'm already not getting the nourishment from the vine. And I need the nourishment, otherwise I can't cross the finish line. And again, fruit is the finish line. I'll use it. I'll use an athletic metaphor if I could. I go to the gym pretty much six days a week in the morning early, and I work out. Now the goal for me is not to be good at working out. Who cares, <laughs> right? Do you care whether or not I lift this or that? Do you care how many push-ups I do? You don't care. I don't care. Here's the goal, though. The finish line is two things sort of a general sense of health, and the other goal, much more elusive, is to try to get better at hitting a golf ball. <laughs> so see, because athletes have mobility and strength and flexibility in the motions it takes to execute whatever it is they're trying to do. So yes, I am trying to get more mobility. I am trying to get a little more strength, all pertaining to hitting a golf ball, and all I can say to you is, it seems to be going in the wrong direction. <laughs> so... I'm going, to be, I'm going to tell the truth. There are many men in this room with whom I gamble on Sundays on the golf course. It's not big money, but a buck a hole. And it's humiliating to be on the 18th green and have to hand Dan Fields three of my dollars. Dan Fields is one of my friends, for those of you who don't know him, but he's one of the guys that always beats me. And one day I had a par putt to make, and I got one stroke, and he had a birdie putt. He made the birdie. I missed the par. It cost me $30. <laughs> anyway, the finish line is not exercise. The finish line is health and having fun playing sports. But if I don't do the exercises, I'm not going to cross the finish line. So you and I want to be close to, and we, there's something more though with God. When we are connected as branches to the vine, there's something that happens about God's presence that simply, <sighs> that in itself is worth it. But we're not here just to get ours. We're not here to get God and sit on it. We're here to be fruitful because it's really clear that God is glorified when we bear fruit. And what does that mean? Love, joy, peace, patience, etc. Out in the world, catching people with the same love that Jesus has for them. And we become Jesus representatives in our relationships in the world. And there's a bunch of people out there that don't know that they're loved and forgiven. But we need each other, too. Those of us who have experienced love and forgiveness through Christ, we need each other. But also, there's a bunch of people out there. And if you don't have the, 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 the nourishment of the vine flowing through you as a branch, you ain't got no fruit for people out there in the world. You just, you'll, you'll quit. You'll give up. It's too hard. But man, when you know that you've been loved and you're experiencing it, then the next thing you know, you can love and I can love other people well. So this digital age is really powerful. But as a family, we're going to be a vineyard, and we're going to learn together how it is that we can be people who stay attached, abide. How are we going to do it? First step is this. Shameless commerce. Buy the book. Right here. I have the book. I have 20 copies of it. I will sell it to you for $18, and you can Venmo it to Anthony Haroon, or you can give me 20. I ain't making change. <laughs> I got a wad of money in my pocket. If you come in, I, you know, I'm a millennial honorary. I don't carry cash anymore, but I got brought this in here just so I can sell you this book. This book will rock your world. Why? Because it's helping. We're borrowing this, this sermon series from John Mark. That's what we're doing. Happy to tell you that. Buy the book. I'm going to stay right here after I finish. In a few minutes, I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come do their outro, but I ain't leaving. I'm going to get this sign out so you can Venmo it, and I'm selling you this book. Come get the book. There's another thing you can do. You can go and you can begin to explore best practices. If you want to, you can take your phone out right now and scan this. I don't see any phones coming out. Come on. I'll give you time. I want you to scan this QR code. And this is what's going to happen. 
you're going to end up on our website and you're going to see two or three resources. Okay, one of them, upper left, you see it's a slightly different color of blue. One of them is a, a workbook coming from John Mark Comer and his church, the Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. And he's literally just giving us his workbook to help us do what? To help us build a trellis, a structure, a system in our life that helps us abide. My prayer, my dream is that we would be a community of apprentices making central in our life abiding. I'm going to say that again. My prayer, my dream for us is we become a community, a family of apprentices and central in our life together is abiding in Jesus. A few things that I want to say to you, uh, the digital challenge is new, but the practices of the people of Jesus are not new. There's a bunch of them. Some people listed 12 or 13. I want to just mention three or four practices of Jesus and then some ways that we can start to add them into our lives. And it's up to you. Nobody's going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do. All of us have to figure it out on our own. Prayer. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to mention four. You ready? Prayer is a practice that Jesus followers have never not done. And reading the Bible is a practice. So I want to I ask you to think about the challenge of putting these two things into your life and call it my 15. Start your day before you do anything else. Don't look at the weather. Don't look at the Seminole Sports for, uh, website. Whatever it is that you do first, don't do it. Don't turn on any music. R prayer, Bible. Lots of, there's nine million things out there in this wonderful world that will help you do it. They'll say hello to you and read scripture to you in the morning the first thing if you want them to. They'll tell you. They'll read it out loud. Start that way. There are two more I wanted to mention out of this list of 12 or 13. Just mention them today. The third one is family. It's the practice of family. And it means several things. It means this. It means building into our lives the discipline of celebrating Jesus together. It means on purpose meeting with people in, in groups of smaller numbers where you can talk openly about things. It means those two kind of things, family. And the fourth thing I wanted to mention, so prayer, I mentioned reading your Bible, I mentioned creating on purpose some family in your life with intentionality. And the fourth one is quiet. Now, I'm, I'm going to make a best practice suggestion. And uh, it, it's going to be the fifth one I make. I got a few I want to run through. And I'm going to come back to quiet and tell you something about quiet and about me. Here's some best practices. If you want to institute those kinds of things, and I'm going to assume that this is new and, and unique for you. Now, some of us have been at this for a long, long time, and this is going to seem like not necessarily where you are. I get it. You read this book, oh, you'll get it. You, I, don't, I, don't know how, I don't know how mature you are. You read this thing, oh, he's going to get your attention. But if you're a newbie, let's start here. Start small. Don't say I'm going to do X because that's where you think you ought to be. Just start where you are. My 15, just a little bit. Even, even my 10. How's that? My 10. Start small. Second thing, be specific. And what I mean by that is go to sleep on purpose 15 minutes earlier and wake up on purpose with your alarm clock and don't make your phone your alarm clock because you might we want to look at it instead. People texting you way after hours. Just get up 15 minutes earlier. You'll find a little time. It's trellis. It's a system. And the next thing you know, you're sensing God's presence. And then you have something to give. Third thing, subtraction is way better here than addiction. Slow down. I don't know how you can do that in your life. Literally, for me personally, I'm slowing down in my car. I know many of you don't believe that, but I am. I'm not very good at slowing down, but I have slowed down on purpose because I'm all in on this, by the way. I'm not standing up here giving you this is not me talking about something. I am so totally immersed in trying to figure out how to be close to Jesus and, and abide. I want you to know this is very real for me, very real. I knew in December I was going to do this. And I was already trying, but I mean, I'm more focused. And this is, I'm 100% authentic talking about stuff I'm wrestling with. So three was subtraction, not, a, not addiction. I've got two more. 
healthy balance of upstream swimming and downstream swimming and have most of it be downstream. Okay, don't beat yourself up. When you start seeing all these things that you can add, don't, don't add 52 of them in here, which none of them you do now. I would say do stuff that you already think you can do pretty easily and then pick one or maybe two that would be upstream swimming for you. And I'll just mention one for me, which is upstream swimming, and that's quiet. I told you I was going to come back to it. And I mentioned to someone who will remain anonymous that my word for the year the person said, what's your word for the year, Fitz? And I said, quiet. And the person burst out laughing in my face. <laughs> and I took it as lovely, a loving compliment, which is what it was. Oh, so hard for me. But I knew that quiet was going to be my word, again, back in December. And this is what's happened to me. I turned off my music in my car in the morning when I go to do what I do. Because I start at 5 o'clock in the morning. I used to run at 5 o'clock in the morning. Now I'm being quiet and praying and reading scripture and reflecting. It's an uphill thing for me, though, because I keep wanting to go, eh, eh, eh. So, and it, well, I was listening to Christian music, so I thought maybe that gave me a pass. But no, there's something about quiet. There's something about solitude that Jesus gets a chance. There's a margin. The last thing I'd say is a best practice is talk with your Jesus apprentice friends about this stuff. There are two places, there are two places where I do that in my life. On Monday mornings regularly, every other Thursday afternoon, I have the chance to talk with others who've agreed to measure their lives of abiding by some structure, trellis, or a way of life, a system. Well, I'm going to stop. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and we're going to pray Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And we're going to pray it right now. And I want you to keep your eyes open. And I want you to read this with me, and this is going to be your prayer. And then I'm going to finish. We'll close our eyes, and I'll finish with a little bit more prayer. So let us pray together. Words of Jesus to you and to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Thank you, gracious God, that your yoke means simply that we have ourselves standing next to you and you're carrying the load. It's an animal metaphor. It's exactly the same thing that the vine metaphor says. When we're next to you, we're not saying life is easy. But we're saying being next to you produces peace and rest and calm. We slow down. We sense your presence. That's who we want to be. We want to be a family of apprentices, gracious God, who together with great joy are building structures in our lives, systems in our lives to help us make connecting to you, abiding in you, to make that this, at the center of what we do. Challenge us, guide us, lead us. Thank you for the Messiah. Amen. <laughs>